Hello there, and welcome to Pivotal Film. I'm Tom Nolan, and I'm Mario Ponzio, and this is this is my favorite time of the year for this. This is like the the reason why I I get so excited for the year for the new year <laughs> is because we get to not not for this particular list, but like the lists. You know, our our podcast is created around lists, and so the beginning of the year means I get to just do a bunch of lists. You know, constant, constant lists. You do love lists. And we're getting close to what is my favorite episode. I won't remember recording it by the end of it, but it's my favorite <laughs> episode, which is the best of the year. We're not there yet today, unfortunately. It's the worst of 2021. Yeah, yeah. But we're starting, you know, last week we did anticipate it, or it was last week. I don't know how a recording schedule is necessarily, but recently we did anticipate it. So we're doing a series of lists, and, mm-hmm. you know, today is the worst. But with that being said, we are going into the period uh, where coronavirus caused us to shift how we see movies, depending on the year. And so um, we do have a cutoff that just happened, depending on when this episode's released. Our cutoff is January 15th for being eminently available in the New Haven region. Mm. So the movies that will not count. For today's worst list, it will not count for the best of 2021 list that mm-hmm. are technically 2021 films. There's three big ones. There was other ones, but you have access to them, and I'm going to find access to them. Uh, but the three big ones that are making waves in the critical circles in some ways are Worst Person in the World, mm-hmm. because Neon doesn't like releasing films at the appropriate time. Worst They're always like, this is a great movie. Let's release it in February. Yeah, I think they think that they um, have tapped some kind of art house Valentine's Day market, and they have not. Yeah, since they're, Portrait of Lady on Fire wrong. didn't make anything. Uh, Souvenir Part 2, which bums me the fuck out, but is that is that A24? I don't remember. I think that might be A24. That is, that is A24. But I don't get that one either. Sure. But yeah, Souvenir Part 2, uh, I don't think A24 wants anybody seeing that movie for some reason. And the yeah. weird one, Joe Wright Cyrano. Cyrano, Cyrano, yeah. Don't know why I had a hard time saying that word. I thought that was going to get like a wide theatrical release in December. I think or it's... Or early January. I think it is coming out soon. Like I'm guessing late January, right? Like, I don't Because I, I looked... I assumed it was going to come out this weekend. I mean, um, the only thing I can think is that they really believe that this this fourth... This third and... This fourth and fifth Best Actor nomination is like up for grabs. And that he's stayed in the... Conver- like, um... Uh, Peter Dinklage has stayed in the conversation the entire year for no reason because nobody's seen this movie except for critics and that like they can kind of they'll be able to like capitalize on something and just and like sneak him into like the a, Oscar like a Daniel you know. Kaluuya situation from from last year like how like Daniel like Judas and the Black Messiah kind of mm-hmm. snuck into that February thing yeah but Judas and the Black Messiah was different because like nobody could see movies and so yeah. it was just kind of like, how does this work? What are we doing here? But he was interesting in the sense that he just kind of took over the conversation. He That movie got released, and he won that award. Exactly. Um, Speaking of, for films that will count for 2021 that were released in 2020 or in the Oscar conversation for 2020, Judas and the Black Messiah mm-hmm. will be on our 2021 list. This isn't necessarily saying these films will show up anywhere. Uh-huh. Honest, but just... Know that they were in the conversation last year. They're in the conversation this year. Judas and the Black Messiah, The Assistant, Nomadland, Minari, 
the father Mm -hmm. are kind of the big ones. Also, technically, by our own volition, as I mentioned last week, Scream falls within the 2021 cutoff. You're very excited about this. Because it would just be funny if it... Well, technically, can't make my worst. If it's terrible... I might have to amend the words. I will but. say this, though, about the Scream thing, and this just occurred to me. All these other movies that we're talking about technically got released in some in capacity 20, in so 2020. Should we, should we take off Scream? I think we probably should. Okay. Scream is Scream is now officially a 2020. I hope that it doesn't end up being, like, your favorite movie of, like, oh, this period. And so I, that it you would don't be have a bummer. To make. Well, it would be a real bummer. Like, last year was kind of a bummer in the fact that, like, in February I saw... Well, what ended up being like one of the most important films of my life, uh-huh. but it was still kind of a, it still kind of set the stage. So I'm hoping Scream's a lot of fun for me, right. but I'm hoping like maybe it makes a moment, and that's about it. <laughs> but anyways, this is the this, this is the the list I don't want to do this year. The last couple of years has been kind of a bummer because mm-hmm. it seems like the 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 consensus and the media loves to dwell in the worst of the year, but like it needs to be done because there were some shit movies released this year. I feel as though compared to 2020 this was a weaker year in film for me i'm less excited about everything i've seen mm. there's more movies few, though much more movies but like there's fewer movies that made as much of an impact i think there's a lot of entertaining films that released like, in 2021 yeah. but i don't feel as though there's a lot of um films that really kind of struck me mm. dug deep into me no i agree with that um but with that being said, like, I don't like doing the worst list usually because, like, it just feels like such a bummer to, like, say these things. But sometimes they need to be said. Yeah. And, sometimes you know, people need to get kicking the balls. Um, I will mention the, the movies that have been generally considered. I'm very animated today. Uh, the worst movie by looking over various lists for the worst movies that I did not see. Uh-huh. Um, Home Sweet Home Alone. Oh, yeah. Demonic. Mm-hmm. Snake Eyes, Infinite. What's Snake Eyes? Snake Eyes was the G.I. Joe film based around Snake Eyes. Infinite, that Mark Wahlberg vehicle. Oh, yeah. Uh, The Starling, the Melissa McCarthy kind of Mm. like drama. Um, And Music, which is a movie I didn't even know of Um, until I heard, saw all the worst of lists. Because we don't seek out bad movies. It's a waste of time. Well, I work with a person who uh, works with kids that have autism, so I was very aware of Music last year. Mm. And... um, See you can go eat shit. Um, I don't know if there's anything else to say, <laughs> to say about see that. it like problematic. Oh, because of the cast. Well, because theory. she just she just didn't. I mean, she made a movie about autism and didn't. Can I mean, she claims she consulted people with autism, but she clearly didn't. She didn't cast somebody with autism um, for purely like uh, efficiency reasons, um, and it really just kind of milks. Like the sentiment, like a sent, like attaches a sentimentality to having autism, and then tries to, um, you know, yeah, capitalize on that emotionally. It's it's you know again, takes, I didn't it see takes it. advantage of the situation, exploits the situation. And I, can, I didn't see it. Yeah, that that is what kind of what I heard. Yeah. Um. But anyways, before we start our worst list, uh, we're doing the worst five. I do have a top ten list, but I'll just run through those really quickly. Um, I decided to do a beer, and this is the opposite. Of, of what I hope will be the experience I ever have with films, which is 
It's bad on the front. It seems terrible from the name. It doesn't look that good from what I see. Mm-hmm. But then I read about it and I get intrigued and I hope it ends up being good. This is uh, Wormtown Brewery, uh, which is out of Worcester, uh, Mass. Or as I like to say, Worcester. Worcester. I'm from the West Coast. It's called Buddha's Juice. Is this Shumagarath on the cover? Yeah, it does look like that, right? <laughs> it's, it's got definitely an eldritch sort of creature on it, but it's called Buddha's Juice. But however, the description says, a tribute to the underground music scene that gave Worcester its earthy nickname. The underground series celebrates it, the eclectic and revolutionary taste of our beloved city. We selected the rare Buddha's hand, a variety of citron with long fingers and no fruit inside, along with grapefruit peel to create a powerful citrus-forward double IPA, dry hopped with sriracha ace, which is one of my favorite. Uh, hops to intensify the lemon zest and grapefruit profile of this unique brew. So on the cover, it sounds terrible, but reading the description, digging in a little bit, it sounds intriguing. Let's do it. So I'm hoping bad cover, good beer. This was this was the theme for the worst of. Dink it. Let's see how Shumagrath tastes. That's it Pretty is good. intriguing in mm. the sense that I mm. it's very earthy and grassy, mm. but it doesn't. Keep being grassy. That grapefruit comes in at the end. There. Yeah. Oh, it does. It's like, like, an un- it's like underlining. When it. you breathe in, like when mm. you take like a a bare. Be careful. This is the this is the nine point five. Um, but yeah, that's mm. that's good. A unique flavor. Tasty. It's very citrusy. You get a, uh, that that finish is grapefruit and sriracha ace. This is this is what I want in movies. Bad covers sometimes, <laughs> but good insides. Bad star, like something that you're not looking forward to seeing. But then you know you what I mean? It, but yeah. they're, oh, pretty good. What a surprise. I, Judas and the Black Messiah was something like that from last year. I wasn't expecting much outside of Daniel Kalu- outside of his performers, and mm-hmm. it surprised me. Worst five films of the year. I do have ten, but I'm, I'm going to run through quickly my ten through six. And the reason I run through these quickly is because these are my personal preference for films I just didn't enjoy. Just so you don't expect that these films pop up anywhere. I feel like you're doing this because you want to say one movie in particular. No, no, there's two movies, three movies in particular I wanted to say, and they're my 10 through 8. Okay. My number 10 was Spencer. Oh, yeah. My number 9 was The United States versus Billie Holiday. Uh huh. My number 8 was Nomadland. Uh, None of these films are terrible films. I just put them there because. I mean, Spencer, I think. I mean, Spencer is kind of. I mean, there's there's confidence in him. There's confidence in Spencer's, I guess, is. Is terrible, but is interesting. I guess United States versus Billy Holiday. Andrew um, Andrew Day is, a, is excellent in that yeah. movie. The movie is just fucking terrible. It's it's a hallmark quality biopic, <laughs> and Nomadland just just lingers and kind of sits in itself for too long for me. Yeah, you did not like Nomadland. Yeah, I I I will acquiesce that I think it's it's a well made movie. I do not think. If we're doing performances, I do think Francis McDormand ruins what otherwise could have been an entertaining yes, film. Hundred um, percent. My number seven is Coming to America. Oh yeah. And my number six is Those Who Wish Me Dead, mm. which is is hard for me to say, given my um, love affair with uh, Taylor Sheridan. Yeah, and I feel like you know um, I forgot Coming to America uh, existed, which you know should say everything you want to know, except in, when I saw on. Um, Armand White's um, better than list so I think that movie was better than I don't know West Side Story he thinks it's like the best one of the best films of the year coming to America um, you're just and I think all these films for me outside of uh, Spencer which just kind of like felt like it missed the mark it could have been a better feature mm-hmm. um, 
Nomadland especially mm-hmm. could have been a much better feature without Francis McDormand. She's just un- insufferable to watch in that mm-hmm. film. And United States versus Billie Holiday. I think those those other two films are just ranked where they do because of their tedious experiences. Mm. And that's kind of like how I look at this list. Do mm. you have any dishonorable mentions before I jump into my No, I mean, there's stuff like I didn't like. We kind of just covered Don't Look Up. Um, but I get it. I get it. I, it. I don't think it works at all. Um, and I don't think... I think Adam McKay... It's more like an Adam McKay problem. It's maybe about how it's being covered. Maybe, although it's not getting very good reviews. It just wasn't like... It just didn't work. He made a movie and he took a shot and it didn't work. And I guess what I'm... In, in the same way as Spencer, I'm not putting it really on my list. So it's not really ranked. It's just like the movies. I just put the seven movies that came immediately to my head. Oh, I, I ranked um, my bottom five. I ranked my bottom five too. Okay. But like when I did my long list, I was just like, these are the movies that came right to mind. And so like Don't Look Up was definitely one of them. And the other one was Malignant, which I thought was just really gross. Malignant was... was and, skirting around in my bottom but I think it was I think James Wan took the easy way out and made a shitty movie on purpose yeah and then, we, we talked about that right um, and I'm giving it a little bit of credit for doing what it was like for functioning how he wanted it to function and I still think there's, cap- there's, and there's very control. capable filmmaking in yeah. that um, it's just and so in that way I think it functions a lot like Spencer um, there's capable filmmaking and capable performances it's just like wrong and it feels wrong and like some of the stuff that's happening in it is wrong and like you know so I could go into it I guess more detail with the ideas that we're not well, talking about capable so. filmmaking Tom that leads right into my my number five which uh, sits here because not because of its performances because I think under better direction it could have been a solid film I think I think the source material for this um, wow insufferably self-satisfied as a book uh could have been made with greater level of competence. Um, the people behind Avengers Endgame aren't good enough to do that. And that's why my number five uh. is Cherry. Uh, <laughs> Cherry was kind of an insufferable experience for me. Mm. When it tries to have a little bit of gravitas or uh, weight, it fails in every way because the Russos weren't able to convey that. Uh, the war sequences... Um, kind of have that glorified Michael Bay feel, um, but also kind of boring. Ex- ex- well, exactly because <laughs> they're they're pantomiming action sequences we've seen before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, without the fantastical elements of a Transformers or a superhero film, they're supposed to have a weight and a gravity, something that Catherine Bigelow is able to, you know, well, show sure. in in Hurt Locker. Well, I mean, I mean, obviously holding it to a much higher standard, but it doesn't even like approach that it doesn't even like it doesn't even get anywhere close to that and right. when you have a, a lot of capable films jarhead from sam mendes you know um like i said hurt locker um I'm trying to think of more modern examples uh even something like waltz with bashir i mean these are grandiose examples but i'm trying to think i'm trying to think of like medium tier mm-hmm. um what was that uh ethan hawk um War film dealing with the drones. He was like the drone operator. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Something that's like a little more mid-tier. I know what you're talking about, but I can't think of the name of it. Um, There's a level of competency or a weight or appreciation and respect for the material being done there that is absent here. And, mm. and it already being a novel and a source material, Nico Walter's Cherry is it's it's an awful terrible gross human being justifying his behavior 
uh-huh. and then kind of like treating him to a weird degree as kind of like an American hero in this was was absolutely a failure. And is he this, not an American hero, Mario? But a, an entire misconception of of how that film should have done, and I and I think. You know, I'm still on the fence about how good of an actor Tom Holland is, but I think, you know, Clara Barbo is trying. I think a lot of these supporting performers are trying, and I just don't think this movie works. Yeah, I don't think it works either, but I, um, I'm i giving... I do like Tom Holland in it. I, not that I think I think he's... I, I think he does a good job for a while, um, and I think he's trying really hard. And that's I agree. Thing, and that's the thing I think... Um, that I'm, I'm not looking... I'm definitely not looking forward to Uncharted. Um, I'm definitely not going to see it in theaters. I think Tom Holland will give anything like 100 and, 107%. Uh, yes, I agree. And um, I think Uncharted is like the perfect film for him. I'm not looking forward yeah. for Uncharted because of Mark Wahlberg. No, definitely not. But I think, so I get to that point, I think the actors in this are trying their best. And I think a lot like fucking uh, Adam McKay, I think the Russo brothers are just over, they're in over their head. But they like design something that's too much for them because they thought because they made the highest grossing movie of all time that they could do anything and it would second, work. A second again. They oh. released Avatar, so. James fucking Cameron. Um, I guess I thought you were going to go, I thought our number fives were going to match up for a second there. My number five is, um, you know, good performers, I guess, although not in this movie. Uh, a good writer, although not in this movie. Uh, in What's proving to be an incompetent director, um, who's the same as the writer. Uh, my number five is uh, Aaron Sorkin's being the Ricardos. Uh, more because it's just super boring. I mean, it's like boring to the nth degree. It's like drama is not real drama. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense narratively. I mean, Aaron Sorkin is a writer, first and foremost. Um he should figure out how to move this narrative along with some kind of cohesion instead of just kind of like dumping us in and out of like a family drama or a political drama or like a gender roles drama or something. And he doesn't. And, and it makes Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem's like college try of being Lucille Ball and uh, Desi Arnaz like seem that much more, um, I don't know, awkward and, and, and miscast. Um, it's, but it's, you know, it's still Nicole Kidman, Javier Bardem. It's still Aaron Sorkin, Alia Shawcott, JK Simmons. You still have like a bunch of, of good people here doing stuff, making a movie, but it also, it's one of those movies that clearly costs a lot of money, but also looks super COVID-y, um, in the sense that there's just like no people around most of the time. Everything looks very plain. And we talked about this. Like a TV show. It, it feels made for a small screen. There's, there's, we yeah. talked about how the aesthetic of it, from a production standpoint or from a cinematography standpoint, um, has no difference from watching on your phone. As I started this film to finishing on uh, a large television. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I agree. This was definitely in my bottom tier of the year. Mm-hmm. I found it to be more bland and uninteresting and forgettable than really bad I but guess I think to that point and that's how I feel too um, Spencer for all of, for, for all of Spencer's many flaws it's more interesting Don't Look Up is more interesting Malignant is more interesting Nomadland is more interesting Nomadland than Land's being a, the Ricardos Nomadland is legitimately on my list for one reason like right sure 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 but I, and I, we've talked about it endlessly so I get it and I'm not this is not a criticism I'm just saying like this movie is not 
in any not interesting in any way except for how weird is it that these people are playing these characters? Yeah, and I, that's I, it. I agree, and I think I think with my list, I look more towards frustration and possibility um, in terms of whether it be a, a misplant between um, the the crew and the cast, uh, whether it be kind of you know something that has potential but then fails at that uh-huh. um and that's where like spencer kind of falls on my list because like yeah, it was yeah. fr- it's a frustration factor because i think there's a talent there in terms of both filmmaker uh a pablo loran loran did they say his last uh-huh. um and and the cast i think Kristen du- or Kristen that's Kristen stewart kind of phones it in slightly made, in that better movie would have been interesting um and so that's that's on my list for like a frustration level mm-hmm. whereas bringing me ricardo's kind of just emulates and uh, what I expect from Aaron Sorkin at this mm. point. I, I went into it with the expectations oh, me too. that I left that film with. Sure, me too. So I, I, went, I mean, I guess they were a little lower in the sense that I was like, wow, this came out early. I better watch this. Ugh. <laughs> that was that felt long. That was a long movie. Do you want to snake draft it, or do you want to go next? Um, do you want to toss it back and forth? Let's let's do mine because it's probably a movie you haven't seen. Okay. Um, then we can just decide as we go along. Mm-hmm. My number four is Gunpowder Milkshake, mm, which was I a did Netflix not watch film. That movie. Uh, Karen Gillian kind of it's it's in this vein of Kate, and it, it, it sees replications of the John Wick formula. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it is a amalgamation of the John Wick formula with something like Shoot 'Em Up mm-hmm. or Crank from the past. Mm. Um, it is very similar. Was Karen um, Gilliam trying to be the new Jason Statham? No, no. But it's very similar to a, 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 a objectively objectively worse film. Um, not Polar. It's uh, Polar. Yeah. There's Polar and there's Arctic. Mm. And I always get this. One of those movies Pol- but is But Mads Mikkelsen is in both of them, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. Arctic is great. Right. Polar is, Polar is just horrendous and, bru- and like brutally cruel. I like Arctic. Um, Arctic's great. Mm-hmm. Arctic's amazing. Polar's bad. If you're watching a Mads Mikkelsen cold movie, Arctic is the one you want to watch. <laughs> Joe Payne is a great director. Um, this movie just kind of stumbles along, isn't ever doing anything interesting um and as a talented crew of actors it you know gillian's pretty good gillian's been pretty charismatic in what she's done she she carries a lot of talking about endgame oh yeah um you know, headley carla Gugino, michelle yon and angela bassett all good mm-hmm. but they all seem really bored here mm-hmm. and paul giamatti kind of stumbles into the film and it just it has this it is it is this oh. pantomime and this aesthetic of um, Netflix films, which uh-huh. you see in Polar, it's it, it is it is the Polar of 2021, in the fact that it's it's saccharine in the sense of neon. Mm. It is so indulges in its neon coloration, and it feels as though it is a film by committee in the sense of what can we do to catch the drunk late night, um, you know. We're, Drunk late night crew who wants to eat pizza and watch a movie. I Put, was drunk when I watched it and was still dissatisfied. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so my number four. Speaking of Paul Giamatti, Mario. Or Mario. I don't know <laughs> why I forgot your name? name. I did. I said it, and I was like, "Is that right?" And then I was like, "Yeah, it is right." Mario. Well, we have we have a guest who just showed up. So JP's here. Yeah. Woohoo! And he's not plugged in yet, so you might hear a grumble when we <laughs> mention the movie. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, well, we will be we we'll will resolve be fixing that, that later. After. Um, I don't think you saw this movie. Maybe I didn't see did. many Paul Giamatti movies this year. It's uh, a movie directed by Jaume Colette Serra, who directed um, Liam Neeson in Unknown, Nonstop, Run All Night in the Commuter. Yeah, it is, I... it is uh, the Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Emily Blunt and Jesse Plemons uh, right. and Paul Giamatti guest starring Jungle, Jungle Cruise. Cruise. Um, you did not watch this, right? This, did you see Jungle Cruise? You didn't. Your kids didn't make you watch Jungle Cruise. That's nice. That was nice of them. Um, this movie fucking stinks. You talk about being bored in um, Gunpowder Milkshake. Everyone in this movie is super bored to the point where, like, in the beginning of the movie, where the Rock is taking like a bunch of, um, sight. I'm not going to go through the plot, but the Rock is taking a bunch of sightseers through a, on a Jungle Cruise, and it's kind of staged like the Disney Park Jungle Cruise. He's reciting these lines that are supposed to be bad jokes, but he's literally reciting them like he needs to constantly remind himself how much money he's getting paid per line to like get through them. The special effects are terrible. Jesse Plemons is um, just in a different movie than Emily Blunt. And actually, that's actually let's even start there. The three leads are all in different movies. Emily Blunt is working so hard. Jesse Plemons clearly wants to kill somebody. Like his character just wants to murder things. Um, it's sad he never gets a chance to. Um, and then The Rock is there, just kind of like doing rock stuff. There's the special effects are horrible. Um, I guess there's nothing else to say except for the special effects are horrible because this movie is all special effects. I, the, the thing I, I wonder, and I still haven't gotten to it but yet, uh, with Colt Sarah, he starts out as a horror director. Uh-huh. He does like Orphan, um, The Shallow, which is actually two movies I enjoy. He also did uh, House of Wax, mm-hmm. which is a terrible remake but fun mm-hmm. in a way. I know like Jungle Cruise like dwells into this like they're for immortal villains or whatever. Which they don't look like anything. But it's not, that, like, the horror aspect of that's not done well. Oh, my God. No, because you can't see anything. It doesn't do, like, the gore, like, Gore Verbinski, you know, does, oh, like, no. does a good job. Oh, no. But it doesn't even, like, come close no. to, like, matching. No. Yeah, like, Gore, gore Verbinski did, like, a decent job with um, Pirates of the Caribbean. Sure, but he... Like, the horror aspect. But he invented a, he invented a franchise there. This guy's... Well, I'm talking about this very minor part of it. No, no, but this guy's dude getting... A, everyone here is getting a paycheck. Except for Emily Blunt. And Jesse Plemons, I think, is, is like, exercising. Like, exer- like, acting exercising. He doesn't care what anybody else is doing. He's doing this. Well, the thing I really love, and I haven't seen this film, but the thing I love about the promotion of this movie is that the uh, Dwayne Johnson used it as a vehicle to promote his tequila. Oh, like sure. Every time yeah. oh, I yeah. saw him talk about this movie, he would just like you talk about his tequila. Yeah. No, I'm this... like, you know what, Dwayne Johnson? You get that bag. You do a Dan Housen. No, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him that he's like so popular and keeps doing these things, but this movie sucks. Like Disney, you know, um, I, D- Disney gets a lot of, uh, I have a lot of good faith for Disney, like weirdly because of the Marvel stuff and because of like the Star Wars stuff, even though the first episode of the Boba Fett show is just terrible. Um, Still get to see that. Um, I think they're. I think they mean well in their content generating machine, but like this happens a lot, especially with like the animated stuff, which we'll probably talk about in a couple of weeks. You know, at least one or two of those movies. Um, 
this movie, they didn't even try to make this movie good. When talking about the best of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Like, they didn't even try to make it's this like, movie good. like, are we doing good. an anime They episode? very specifically made this movie to be content. It's just it's just content, and it's a bummer. Yeah, through all the promotion of this film that I saw, it, it felt purely like it should have been... I mean, I assume this could have only been a $200 million film, but it, it felt... Like, it had the aesthetic of something that should have just been instantaneously released to Disney Plus without mm-hmm. a second thought. Yeah. Instead, all the Pixar movies get released to Disney Plus without a second thought. I know. Uh, my number three, Tom, I, I believe is going to be a crossover. <laughs> so yeah. I will mention it really quickly. It is Halloween Kills. Oh, okay. That was my number one, so let's save it. Yeah, we'll save it. Okay. But it is Halloween Kills. My number three is probably on your list as well. It is Clint Eastwood's Cry Macho. That's my number one, so let's save it. Okay, good. <laughs> What's your number two? Let's do your number two, because I'm, my number I'm two mad about my number two. is uh, Free Guy. Oh. Free Guy is... Did you see Free Guy? I did see Free Guy. We did talked about this. Did you see Free Guy? Yeah. Did you like Free Guy, JP? I enjoyed it. Yeah. You enjoyed it? Uh, yeah, we had this conversation last week. We had this conversation last week. It's 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 fluff. I felt it's so gross watching it was awful. It was oh, I hated it so what? much. It was what? Oh, I like felt it all over my body. It was silly fun. But it was but it didn't feel I guess it didn't feel silly to me. It felt like really crass and like um like it and it was it knew so like I just said that Jungle Cruise was content, but it seemed like the Disney, and you know, like Disney made it and they produced it and stuff like that. It seemed like they really would have liked you to say that this wasn't content. Free Guy seems very comfortable with the idea that like it's just sucking on all the teats, like of media, like Marvel, Star Wars. You know, and so they reached, which had which had to be stuff that was reshot. They reshot that ending as like when Sony got sold. Yeah, um, uh, Fox. Fox got sold. Sorry, not yeah, Sony's never selling to anybody. Um, when Fox got sold, they reshot that to. ending, and it was—it just is. Oh, it made me feel so bad. Um, yeah, it really felt like I was part of some kind of evil union between like, like um, media and, and the and the consumer, this, and it it was it was unfortunate. Is this like a Ralph Rex the uh, Internet sort of situation? No, because Ralph Rex the Internet seemed like it had something to say about the internet. And how the internet was used. So there's lots of metaphors and symbolism in that. This is not that. So this is the, the issue with this is like just the over commercialization of the film. Sure, but I don't actually don't think it's also. I also don't think it's a very good film. But it's also like it's not a very good film, and it's also saying like we don't we even care if it's good. We just want to make sure that Captain America gets in here, so like people will like that. Like Marvel will put this on YouTube, and then other people that like Marvel will see it. Like that seems like what it is. I, I don't know. It just didn't feel like it just it's felt like, like a Fortnite, like a live it, for, uh, 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 Fortnite movie. It felt movie version of Fortnite is what I meant to say. In a similar way to like something like Jungle Cruise or um, not necessarily being the Ricardos, but like something like that where it's just a movie you see, you pass time, and then you forget. Like that's how I kind of looked at this film. It, it was bugged. kind of just something I saw and I. Forgot. I did not. I could not forget it. Okay. It bugged me. It made me sad. Well, sad is, is sad better than absolutely fucking enraged and just hating the rest of the day. Super Bowl Sunday, as a matter of fact, hating the rest of Super Bowl Sunday, which was oh, a, did this come out Super I Bowl guess Sunday? A, it was around that time, um, maybe that week. I think that maybe that Friday before Super Bowl Sunday. Hmm. Uh, it ruined Super Bowl Sunday for me because I was so mad about this film. It was mm-hmm. snowing that Super Bowl Sunday. Um, mm. And then I hung out with people who are terrible. Uh, 
This is, you know, uh, a project that was uh, looking from Netflix that was looking like it was going to be the real breakthrough for this this writer director mm. because you know he made Euphoria, and people fucking oh, yeah, loved yeah, yeah. Euphoria. Malcolm and fucking Marie, and I say fucking Marie because what does this have? Like, did you see this? Did you end up no. versing this? It has like three hundred and fifty fuck bombs. Fuck bombs. That's a new word. It is an insufferable, awful, self-indulgent experience of a film from a writer. And I have been recommended this past week three times by three different people to watch Euphoria. Uh huh. And fuck those people. I mean, they're my friends. I don't know, but fuck that. Because watching this mm-hmm. was such a painful experience. Mm-hmm. I think John David Washington and Zendaya are both talented performers. Yeah. I think Sam Levinson from this one project doesn't know how to write a fucking thing. Yeah. It is one of the most miserable experiences I've had. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only heard bad things. I, I, did this not get like I got middling reviews uh, yeah it is just too uninteresting loathsome people communicating with one another over what it's, it's less than two hours Jesus it feels like a two and a half hour long film of just talking mm. and there's nothing nothing there <laughs> Nothing. Just it is. It's in black it and is, white. It is the absolute pinnacle of nihilistic filmmaking, in the sense that it made me realize that life means nothing. This is the one. This shouldn't one this of movie two be films, on your pivotal film list? Then this is one of the two <laughs> movies uh, that I will talk about. Um, and the only reason my number three is at number three is because there's a couple things I took from it. I was like, oh, that was fun. Um, but this and my number three, Halloween Kills, are just two movies that made me so utterly angry. Mm. And I have to put it at number two just because I do think John David Washington and Zendaya are trying their best. Sure. Sam, and Sam Levinson's direction, or, uh, direction of it is passable. Mm-hmm. But it is legitimately one of the most self-blowjob scripts <laughs> I have seen in my life. I was literally listening. It, this would have sound better if it was just... Oh, God. Don't do that. For two hours. <laughs> well, you know what, Mario? It's funny. Um, I, I just thought of a way to tie these two together for you and for me. Because I kind of felt the reason that my number one is Halloween Kills is because, you know how you, you just said you felt something. Not Halloween Havoc 1998. <laughs> you know how you, you just said you felt something, and it wasn't anything good, but you felt something. When I watched Halloween Kills, and, and I may pause this in a second and plug, did you see Halloween Kills, JB? You didn't see it! <laughs> you lucky motherfucker. <laughs> um... I didn't feel anything, and that's why it's my number one. Because even Free Guy made me mad and like had feel, make, made me feel like a feeling. Halloween Kills was just nothing. It's almost like it never existed. But like I know that it, I watched it, and like I can remember stuff from it. And I could remember where I was when I watched it because it didn't happen that long ago. Um, 
But it was just, it was just nothing. I mean, it's the, it's, it's the most, um, it's weird. We've been doing this worst of list for a while. And maybe, I don't, did you go back and listen to our last worst of list? Like you did where our anticipated list? Um, maybe I felt more passionate, like apathy for a movie um, before. I don't, I don't, I can't remember what that would be though. I mean, I'm, this movie is, is almost non-existent. It's, it's, uh, in, in a way it's fascinating in it's how little anybody cared in like, making this movie or writing this movie or whatever in this which, movie but it's just it's just not even a thing which it's, is mind-blowing because you you never saw the 2018 halloween no correct and the 2018 halloween has it showed up on my pivotal moments of like my not pivotal but my top moments yeah. that single take should seen like when david gordon green danny mcbride and i think i think mikey milson was involved in the first one i'm not pretty sure i could look it up but i don't care um but when those two big names are involved, like there's a lot of stuff happening in Halloween mm-hmm. that shows like a, in 2018 that shows a lot of passion for the project, and a lot of passion for the moment. The opening sequence of Halloween 2018 is awesome. Like there's no kill, nothing going on. They just go to meet Michael Myers at an insane asylum. It builds and builds and builds in this like just sound and tension, and that's fun. It's and different like, than the dual fence scene in yeah. <laughs> the two separate fences. Um, uh, two separate outdoor and, nighttime fences. Like, watching this film was like... I could see a sense that David Gordon Green and Danny McBride had two films planned. Mm-hmm. Here. They had, they had two movies planned and were like, movie one is is Halloween and movie two is hopefully what Halloween ends, ends up being. Mm-hmm. But it won't be because it's about COVID and COVID wasn't a thing in 2018. Um, at least by their own admission. Halloween Kills just feels the reason I don't feel apathy for Halloween Kills. I feel an extreme frustration and anger at Halloween Kills. Yeah. Because of the fact that there is talented there's a talented filmmaker here who creates interesting characters, small characters and then immediately David Gordon Green? Yeah, and immediately oh, yeah. kills them off in a really cruel ways. And then Happens to present you, in the end, with a villain who you are supposed to root for. Anthony Michael and this Hall. is no, no, Michael Myers. I think I think when Michael Myers takes out that that scene, uh-huh. takes out that that mob in the penultimate scene, like you're supposed to be like, yeah, Michael Myers, take out that. Do you think crew. that? I I think that's I the don't intention. Think, I don't think their the intent was anything. I think the intent was like, let's make Michael Myers kill as many people as humanly possible. But see, this this is this is what separates David Gordon Green as a a horror director. Not as a director, but as a horror director uh-huh. from people who have really solid control and knowledge of the slasher genre. Uh-huh. I want to refer to Wes Craven because I've been watching a lot of Wes Craven movies this week in you know my masturbatorial anticipation. <laughs> you are very excited about Scream. You remember twenty eleven. Remember how excited I was for Scream 4, man? Yes, you were very excited for Scream 4. Yeah. Um, I remember actually actively being like, what is this guy's deal with the Scream? It's so funny that pops, it's like, what, 90 whatever on my list? Yeah, that's weird. I think you need to reassess that. No, I think it's, because it doesn't like, it's, 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 it's not, it's, it's, it makes sense. Um, 
but the control of that is like with something like Wes Craven, he creates characters you care for, um, and then kills them off. But he still establishes his villains as villains. Mm-hmm. Like Freddy Krueger in the initial Nightmare on Elm Street when he kills Tina, mm-hmm. a Tina who had been introduced for thirty minutes, and he kills her. Freddy Krueger is never cool. Last house on the left, when you have um, the rape sequence and everything, and everything building from that, like there is no semblance of cool. These are brutal sequences for good, interesting characters right. that amplify the villainy of your horror, of your slasher villain. Well, this film cool. There, if if they are cool, it's um, it's. But it's, it's a, not. It's, a, it's no one's asking you to think that they're cool. No, it's. But it. it, it I think, uh, and I want to look at Wes Craven for this because I think John Carpenter is a little more. John Carpenter is a little more trying to be like soul. Like John Carpenter's not doing anything in Halloween. John mm-hmm. Carpenter is making a really good, solid horror film in Halloween. Wes Craven, I think, is a better example. Uh, or, or some, uh, even somebody like Tobe Hooper is a good example in this. In the fact that, and I don't want to spend too much time on this. Um, in the fact that, like Leatherface. You know, is is kind of this misused, mistreated horror villain, and so there's some sort of sympathetic direction mm-hmm. by which things are supposed to go. Uh-huh. David Gordon Green gets the first part of that in creating interesting characters in a very short amount of time. The elderly couple, mm. when looking at the drone, like I'm having fun with them. I like that, and then like the brutality of the death. Oh yeah, it's, it's awful. just mean. It's mean. It's yeah. cruel. Um, but it's also not interesting. No, it's not interesting at all. Because, but I think it's it's not interesting for separate reasons for us. Like you as a non horror person, me as a big horror person, um, in the sense that like it's not interesting for you because there's nothing happening. This movie has nothing happening, of course. Sure. But it comes off worse for me because there is a knowledge of the genre mm. and there's a a. a, a a sense of of building the first thing, but then completely bumbling the second part. Yeah. Like when you're introduced to like I love Michael McDonald and um Oh my god, I forgot the other actor's name as Big From and, the Doobie Brothers? Big and Little John. Oh like those those two are fun characters. And then like just they get this really brutal ends and you I would be willing to accept this if we moved on to Michael Myers has this like force of pure absolute other evil and blah blah blah, but then but isn't just he that, that it when he kills all those firemen? Isn't that not. the definition because, of evil is when you kill a fireman? But it's not. It's it's just it, it's just ultimately empty. Right. It's, it's empty. It's oh, devoid yeah, of anything so until the end when he kills the mob, and then it's meant to be like the scene of retribution against. Whatever justice or whatever, which they tried to, which also was nonsense. They tried to tie it to the insurrection. This movie was completed well before the insurrection. Love it. They're like, no, it's about the. Uh, we're mentioning the uh, the Trump people, and it's like, no, you weren't. This movie's been edited and done for a year, and there's been no changes. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's what's frustrating is is there's a lot of talent there, but it ends up this Halloween Kills bog bothers me. Because it ruins, it is that one film that I could look at that like kind of retroactively ruins more of the recent Halloween films. It definitely ruins Halloween twenty eighteen for me, and then it kind of like ruins something like even like Halloween H two O for me. It doesn't really necessarily touch the earlier Halloween films because uh-huh. there's a big gap between the two. But 
So that's that's what frustrates. To me. that end, does Cry Macho ruin Clint Eastwood's career for you? No, Cry Macho is my number one for the pure and simple reason that I it's, that that's that terrible. for the same reason that you have Halloween Kills as your number one. I have never in my life watched a movie from a director who I will admit has talent when he tries. I love Letters from Iwo Jima. Um, That's one? Yeah. He got one? I mean, no, but like... <laughs> and, and even though I'm not a big Unforgiven fan, I can admit that Unforgiven is doing work. I like Bloodwork. Yeah, Bloodwork's good. Bloodwork's a good one. Absolute Power's fine. Mm-hmm. But to watch a 91-year-old man... It was, it's sad. The reason... Cry Macho is my number one. Is is, and I, I don't want to say this, but it's so pathetic. Oh, it's horrible. And I, I, I hate to say it, but it's it, it it made me sad watching it. Oh, it's, it's like from the first just, time he just, opens his mouth, it's you're it's just like oh weird, but no. It's this weird film watching. And I don't want to read into it, but the way the, what I what I took from it mm-hmm. was watching a man grapple almost with mortality and try to like fight against it. Except for the fact that I'm not sure he's playing 91. No, I he's not. I think he thinks he's, he's playing 70. He is. He is. And that's what that's what I'm saying is 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 bothersome for me is the fact that like I think if Clint Eastwood had put anybody else in that role, James Caan. <laughs> just saying it. I'm throwing it out there. James Woods. <laughs> oh yeah, James Woods. Uh, good good. Dean Kane. But it it's just it, it's not the role for him in the entire Kevin time I was Sorbo. <laughs> no, I was trying to get with an old actor. Chuck like... Norris. <laughs> Chuck Norris. He's not Bruce Willis. I Bruce. Yeah, Bruce Willis kind of would have worked almost. Actually, I mean, he would have done worked. nothing with. He would have absolutely phoned it in. He would have killed that kid um, like instantaneously. <laughs> I got to no, be honest. I got no Chuck time for you. Clint Eastwood also would have wanted to kill that kid because he's Mexican. Um, <laughs> but no, he made the mule. He's pro Mexicans, right? As long as they see the empty chair. Um, <laughs> but it's it was sad. It was sad to watch it. It has nothing to say. It's not doing anything. He's too old to be directing anything because his movies have no motion mm-hmm. anymore. Like I uh, I stumble to see a direct like Ridley Scott for as much as we shit on him. Like there is a fluidity to his, and he's what eighty, really eighty three or something. Yeah, there's still a fluidity to to his films. Like there's still something going on there. There's still some forward motion. So, yeah, I mean, and Cry Macho doesn't even Cry Macho feels like a guy who got on a treadmill, pressed the start button, and that treadmill was unplugged. But here's the thing that I would say is that the reason it's my number three as opposed to my num- as opposed to Free Guy or, or Halloween Kills is that I think Cry Macho for. All of its flaws. I'm so and jealous of you not seeing Malcolm and Marie, by the way. And it's all flaws. Yeah, me too. I'm, yeah, I'm very. I've since like you first saw it, and like since some of the other like criticisms of it came out, I was just like, oh, I'm not interested. In, I'm not interested in this movie. Um, Cry Macho seems like, however pathetic it is, and I think it is, and just kind of confused about like who he is and what his capabilities are, and else, um, anything else you want to kind of attach to it. Um, I think it's an it's like an honest attempt to make a movie, like the, for for the sake for the simple sake of 
telling a simple story about a guy and a kid driving a car. Um, and it's, again, it's not a, it's not a super interesting like idea for a film. And wow, looking at just really quickly looking at some of the original cast that was supposed to be in this movie. Oh, I know it's ago. so it's, it's much it's more interesting. fascinating. It's so much like, like yeah, all, just like like I just saw Arnold Schwarzenegger in like 2011. Yeah, so that was like, the original. That would have been not I mean, the original one, but like yeah, um, Pierce Brosnan was way too young. And Pierce Brosnan's not gonna work because he's British and he's not Irish. He, or is oh yeah Irish, but he can't un-Irish himself. Yeah. It doesn't matter what he does. He's but Arnold Schwarzenegger like during good. that um what the fuck was that movie he did? Total he's Recall. The, no, he's the older like sheriff in the small like Nevada town. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Is that recent? This is around that like 2011 period. Oh yeah. Um, but like I think some someone of that ilk or someone in that time. Uh, would have worked. The Last Stand um, was the film I was thinking. I didn't of. see it. Uh, but that aging, but like, yeah, that's what you want. You don't yeah. want you want aging. You want somebody who's like holding on to the years, but then not working. Well, you so you what you want is like Sylvester Stallone in Creed. I know I'm out, but I still have some physical capabilities to perhaps for brief moments not be out. And Clint Eastwood in this movie is out from the moment he is on the screen. I mean, he drives a truck like a guy who definitely shouldn't have a license. He walks like a guy who probably doesn't walk a ton. I mean, he talks like a guy who like probably just talks more to himself than he does to other people. I, I mean, it's really it's hard to it's hard to watch. Like I mean, you people said. people make that joke with Robert De Niro and The Irishman and like oh, that yeah. sequence where he's like kicking. Um, you know, there's obvious like he's doing the kicks. And See, it's for like me, it's the same. But like, but like seeing De Niro in this role, yeah, would have would have been fine. Like a little that bit, age a little bit, fun. yeah. It's because like there's still some motion to it. Like I'm okay with like the fact that like it's obviously a slow. I mean, De Niro wouldn't have worked in the sense of, like you can't. This guy just, can't be Italian. Yeah, um, but someone of someone of that age and slowness would have worked. But what didn't work is like nothing. That is happening here is believable in the little bit, and it's and it's not even Hollywood believable. That forty-year-old woman wanted to have sex with Clint Eastwood. Yeah, and that seven-year-old woman wanted to have sex with Clint Eastwood. The seven-year-old woman, maybe. No, no actually, no. You're right. Yeah, because she was very healthy-looking and alive. Yeah, and she wanted to mount a a bag of skeletons with a I mean, cowboy I don't want, hat. I don't want to insult what Clint, where Clint Eastwood is in life but I just want to say no I don't want to insult him either but the, he made this movie he put himself in this situation yeah. there's God, had to have been infinite a number of people that could have played this that would have been happy to spend two weeks or three weeks reading these lines and being in this movie for and, Clint Eastwood and what ultimately fails for me and the reason why it's my number one is, is that combination between like his performance and his inability to kind of do what's necessary for it and also his meandering which has been his meandering direction for thirty, like twenty five years now. Yeah. Which is just his style. It's not necessarily a, no. It's just what a he does. Symptom of his age. Sure. Um, but like Unforgiven's really Unforgiven flags of our fathers and Larry Sharif Jim are the only movies of his that have any real sense of motion. Even Million Dollar Babies really stagnant. Like 
But I think for it's a, a boxing film, it's not for a boxing movie. It is not moving but around a lot. I think the point. I, I think million dollars. Let's not go into million dollars. But anyways, but what yeah, I'm yeah. trying to say is 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 the stagnation of his direction of his directorial style, which yeah. isn't necessarily criticism his directorial style, but is just what he does combined with him in his current state age. Yep. Just amplifies how utterly like. Sad. It's very yes. sad. It's a it's a sad movie that shouldn't be. I mean, I don't. Cry Macho is not supposed to make you sit there and go like, "Oh right, I'm gonna like fucking have oh, kidney failure mortality. at some point." No, not yes. even that. I'm just gonna have like kidney failure. Like my kidneys will give up. No, no, it's time. not even that. It's oh, it's gonna hurt to walk soon. Yeah, yeah. My mm. left knee is already starting to give me. Pro- I was doing I'm squat- forget stuff. I was doing squats today, and I had I had like some left knee tingle. And I was like, I didn't used to have that. And I'm 35. Yeah, you're not supposed to have that. You should get that fixed. Well, I do. I do a lot of squats. <laughs> ladies. Oh, did I steal your ladies? Oh, you were going for you slow motion ladies. I'm sorry. You don't get to do the ladies. My worst movie of the year is Tom. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't take your goddamn bits. <laughs> what bits do I have? I don't know. Do but I have I, bits? That's my bit. I know. A oh, gold star. Gold for star. Me. Gold star. Yeah. I have never said gold star. Black star for me. I don't even get that. Isn't that a good country album? Isn't that Black Star or something? Dave Bowie. Oh, Dave right. Bowie. Yeah, yeah. It's also my favorite Radiohead song. Yeah. Speaking of Radiohead, <laughs> we'll be back next week. Oh, yeah. Ish. Oh, yeah. We'll be back soon. To talk about something vaguely related to which will be a hap, which will be a better, it'll be a better discussion. It'll be a far discussion, and JP will be mic'd up, and then we'll get to hear him. I don't know. I think moving into this alcove here that we've moved into, like it projects, hmm. so I can really just have this here. JP can just scream. Well, this is this is the uh, outside theater of the William Howard Taft Memorial Auditorium, and so we're all dead because it's ten degrees outside. No, it's the out. It's the outside. It's inside, but it's outside the actual memorial. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. By the way, our previous narrator, uh, he'll be back, but what's, he's 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 sober now, so so we can't give him barbiturates anymore. <laughs> We're not to feed him in sour patch kids. He's not the geek anymore. <laughs> we didn't even know we had a geek until we saw Nightmare Alley. And then we're like, oh, we he's don't a geek. have a geek. Damn it. Um, if you like geeks, you can tweet us <laughs> at Film Pivotal. You can also send us an email at pivotalfilmpodcast at gmail.com, or you can look at a list of the movies that we did three and a half years ago at <laughs> pivotalfilm.com and see a list of the beers that we drank during that podcast, not any of the beers we drank since then, because nope. that's a lot of effort. And we, like Clint Eastwood, are getting up there in the years. And like Clint Eastwood, don't care anymore. Or like David Gordon Green and Danny McBride don't care anymore. I mean, they care about the check. And good for them. Or like take, Ryan Reynolds. Take, take that Jason Bloom money. Prevent him from making a... Prevent him from buying out the Child's Play films. The Child's Play movie needs to stay with I feel like you, MGM. The, if, when this podcast is done, I feel like the next iteration of it is you just getting on a mic every so often and just ranting about what people are doing to horror franchises. Like, please don't do that to my horror... You know... X, Y, or Z horror franchise. I like the chat, please. I know you do. All right, uh, we'll see you soon. <laughs>